She has she's has two trilogies and then a, a duology and then she's working on another trilogy. Like NK, could you like slow down? No. Just work on some fan fiction for a minute. No. Like play some like <laughs> Horizon Zero Dawn. That's like just good. chill out and then do that. Just do that for a minute. Let me catch up. Next door, talking about spooky stuff. As we've done a bunch of times forever now. Over 200 times. Yes. Yeah, we are the media literacy show from a horror lens where we explore the real life, historical, factual reasonings behind our cinematic fears. And we are in our It Is Written series. Yeah. Which is about writers and their work. Yeah, and it's literally written. I read the word. It has been written. Yeah, not all of them though, because a lot of the people recovering have wrote written many books. So to it is written all of them without uh, maybe a year in advance. Yeah, <laughs> to go through all of them. I mean, I will say, for our two weeks from now person, I've had a very long time to read their book and I failed. Um, it's okay. But it's okay because we switched the book anyway. So, so. <laughs> so it's imagine matter. how upset I'd be. Like I did a whole paper book. <laughs> yeah. reading talking about the paper book wasn't even online so it's good i didn't read it then look procrastination for the win no you're <laughs> we're not learning um today <laughs> we're gonna talk about nk jemison mm-hmm. and uh next week we're gonna talk about uh the fifth season which is the broken earth trilogy i have not read all of the trilogy but working through i am gonna do it i'm yeah, gonna read all of the really books good. now <laughs> Yeah, I I have enjoyed that about the series that like, I'm like, wow, I would never have like read books if it wasn't off for this. I would never have discovered that as well as all these awesome writers. So it's like, I'm so excited to yeah. read all their stuff. I got to do that today where someone was like talking about Handmaid's Tale. And I was like, well, one, you should listen to our episode about it. Uh, but I was also like, if you like Atwood, like, and if you felt like something was missing, then I know what you need and uh-huh. it's Octavia Butler. So I got to tell someone about Octavia and I was just like, get out of there. What are you doing? <laughs> you need to read about her. What's going on? Yeah. No, I got my mom to read a uh, parable and she like loved it. And I was like, heck yeah. Yeah. She was commenting on her stuff. So. Oh yeah. I did see that actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably gonna get my mom to read it too. She loves, yeah. um, my mom loves Toni Morrison. So I feel like she would appreciate some of the themes in there. Uh-huh. Um, it would probably be like the only dystopian that she has read. Yeah. My mom doesn't really really not like Handmaid's Tale. She was <laughs> like, I'm just sad and I don't know what to do with it. And I was like, exactly. It's just <laughs> exactly. scary. It's just scary sad. Yeah. And, then, and then she started reading a parable and she like, by the time she got to like the third chapter, she emailed me or texted me, emailed me. She's not like, <laughs> she texted me and she was like, oh, I love this book. And I was like, right. It was cute. Yeah. Yeah. My, yeah, I agree that it, 
It made us like that. I will say, NK's work, um, it does get very sad. Like, mm, yeah. truly sad things. And, like, they just kind of keep going. <laughs> and it's just also, oh, no, like... because where I'm at is very sad. And well, I just mean, like, forever. the world, like, you just okay, have to keep yeah. trucking, you know? Like, terrible yeah. things happen, and you're like, That's well, true, we yeah. know. Like, we start at the worst, right? Like, mm-hmm. we start mm-hmm. with the worst, okay. and then it's like, how do we get to there what happened (laughs) so I think it's really fun and so I'm really excited to share uh about N.K. Jemisin's work I hope it inspires people to read her stuff um Uh as someone who um has always wanted to be a fantasy reader (laughs) I've always like I have like growing up I've always bought like I go out and I see a fantasy book and I'd be like that seems interesting I and I like yeah. read like books about fairies and things like I read a lot of Holly Black and stuff I apologize to people who <laughs> Holly Black I get it um but I read like some of those fantasy and then yeah. whenever I'd pick up a fantasy book I'd be like oh uh <laughs> I don't know like there's too much like it's the same thing with like uh how we were saying like science fiction shows um mm. how like space politics so just lose me and I'd be like I don't care I just want to learn about these people which is why I think I really enjoyed um uh the expanse so with Jemison's work you know it was one of the first like fantasies I could digest and enjoy mm-hmm. and I appreciated the characters and the world that's around even throughout most of it and even still now I don't really know what's going on <laughs> I'm still like I want to know I'm interested yeah. like this is a protagonist, these are some protagonists I can get behind, that kind of thing, yeah. um, versus what usually is in fantasy, where I'm like, good for him. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that he gets what, he gets whatever he wants. Okay. All right, that's uh, cool. That's out with what society is. So. Oh, he got kidnapped by, like, a fairy queen, and usually people die from that, but because he's him, he's just, like, he so like, hot yeah. and so smart that he gets out of it. Okay. Yep. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. All the girls like him? Okay, yeah. yeah. I believe you. <laughs> Everyone else would die, but he's alive? Okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. What yeah. fantasy world? What fantasy world? Um, <laughs> whereas this one, it's like, oh my god, that really hurt, and I want this person to live. Um, yeah. And they're uh, just like, why can't they have the chosen one syndrome? Mm-hmm. They have, like, yeah, really real stuff happen to them, but in this, like, fantasy setting, which is, like, Sometimes you'll have like fantasy worlds that are just like, wee, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> magic and unicorns. Uh, it's not that, but it's very good and very like engrossing, I guess is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully you'll read it and recommend it to other people. Like, and we were tell, doing. It, tell us how you, you feel these, like, moments where you're like, oh, books, yeah, <laughs> and like maybe, do, like, maybe I do like fantasy, I just hadn't read a fantasy where I saw myself and I enjoyed it the same way with like science fiction and Octavia Butler I was like I'm never gonna read a like a sci-fi epic I'm not gonna read you in space and there's aliens I'm not gonna do it and then Lilith Brood I was like maybe I am gonna read it maybe I do like that (laughs) maybe I do like it it's like representation matters or something what like we didn't see you yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's crazy. like breaking news uh that exists and should exist more yeah and it'll affect everyone's thoughts yeah. um 
Well, Kat, why don't you tell us about NK and their work and their life and everything else? Will do. Um, I have. I feel like I finally got the hang of this, so I actually like have it organized in coherent sections, uh, and I have a fun fact section. So it's like, yeah, we finally hit our stride. It took us three episodes, but or three things, but here we go. Uh, so here are some fun facts. You know, math. I've never, <laughs> never been good. I can't be good at like all the things. I have to yeah. be very bad at some of them, and math is that for me. Mental math, specifically. Uh, but yes, let's give you some fun facts about N.K. Jemisin. Um, that I have, after reading a ton of stuff about her life, I was like, all right, these are things that are just like fun, but I don't know if they fit anywhere else in this section. Um, so I'll talk about this again, but they live in Brooklyn. Uh, she's part of a writing group called Altered Fluid. Uh, mm -hmm. She's the first author in the genre's history to win three consecutive best novel Hugo Awards uh, for her Broken Earth trilogy. In addition to writing, she has been a counseling psychologist, an educator, a hiker, a biker, a political feminist, anti-racist blogger. Uh, and she also at one point used to write for a book review science fiction and fantasy column called Otherworldly. Worldly, and she's covered that for three years. Uh, her reviews can still be found online. She mm -hmm. likes to garden and game in her spare time, which is yes. cool. I, really, I was like, gaming. she's such a nerd, and I love it. Yeah. So she plays Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, and Mass Effect. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, uh, I love that for <laughs> just existing. Um, and she has a cat named Ozzy Mendias. Yes. And she's only 41. She didn't start writing and publishing until her late 20s, early 30s. Amazing. So the, the world it, guys. You if, do you're, it. if you're the if you're the just 30 crowd, you can do it at 30. You can just be like, I decide now. Yeah. That that's what I want to do and go do it. So <laughs> like, I just hey guys, like, actually really I'm a writer. You can say yeah. that now. Let's do it. Literally. Like literally, that's what happened. She was like, well, she wrote like her whole life, but like also yeah, like, yeah. didn't start like genuinely like pursuing publishing and stuff until her like end of her 20s, early 30s when she like had a crisis, which I'll talk about that more. Um, but she also apparently writes fan fiction, which I thought mm -hmm. was very fun. Uh, and usually a handful of secret identities that she has not shared. She's very like protective over those identities. She so, also still writes fan fiction. Yes. Like to this day. <laughs> She Such a nerd. I love her. Yeah, she's cool. She's really cool. Um, and she's not that much older than us. We could be friends, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, if we ever yeah, I have friends life. her age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Like, but I don't know if we're like cool enough that she would want. She would find us. us. Yeah, but like more so, we're of similar ages. That maybe. Yeah. Come know? on, Jemison. Talk to yeah. us. Yeah. But uh, let me tell you a little bit about her life. Uh, N.K. Jemison, her the N.K. stand for Nora Keita, uh, which is such a cool middle name. Um, mm -hmm. And she was born on September nineteenth, nineteen seventy two, in Iowa City, Iowa. Um, it's funny because she was born in Iowa City, Iowa, and then she lived in New York City, New York. So I just mm -hmm. thought that was like a funny correlation. Um, she was only there briefly, and her family moved to New York City uh, when she turned one. In an article on The New Yorker titled N.K. Jameson's Dream Worlds, written by Rafi Kachadorian, they give a lot of background on her family. I'm very thankful to this article. It's kind of like the one that I found when I was researching Octavia Butler. They wrote so much 
about her life. I'm yeah. like, thank you. <laughs> You've solved all the missing pieces. So thank you very much to them for writing this article. Um, her father's name was Noah Jamison and her mother's name was Janice Jamison. I looked many places to try to find her mother's maiden name. It does not exist. So she is hmm. Janice Jamison. Um, and they met at college at Alabama State University and got married soon after. Um, her father was born in Birmingham, Alabama. And in the article that I mentioned, they state that he lived where the commissioner of the public safety allowed the Ku Klux Klan to attack the Freedom Riders when their Greyhound buses arrived in 1961. Her father spent part of his youth dodging dogs and fire hoses, turned on him and other civil rights protesters. Um, so just a little background on him. Uh, the newly married couple left Alabama and moved to Iowa City, Iowa, because Noah wanted to devote his life to painting and had applied to graduate program at the university there. Um, Jemison's mother applied there as well, pursuing a degree in psychology with specialization in psychometrics, so like testing. Following Jemison's birth, uh, they moved to Brooklyn, and her father taught art and her mother taught grade school science. Apparently, her father has a painting at the Met called Black Valhalla, and I, in the blog that you can find on our website, I link an image for it. Uh, nice. A link to the, it, like, it's still up at the Met. Um, it was really cool. Uh, Jemison was very fond of the NYC house that they lived in and described it in an article, in the article I mentioned. Uh, we were in a beautiful little brownstone we had a ground floor, the ground floor and the floor above. There was a gorgeous old mahogany banister. There were grapevines in the backyard and a squirrel named Greedy who would come seeking pecans that my grandmother would send me from her tree in Alabama. Um, so she really loved the house that was in New York. But at the age of five, her parents divorced and Jemison went with her mother to Mobile, Alabama, returning to NYC in the summers. Um, this move was very hard for Jemison as and because of this, as a means of escape, she spent many hours at the local library. And this ultimately led to her starting her writing around the age of eight years old. Uh, Crazy. She, she apparently started self-publishing, like in handwritten books, binded with cardboard and yarn, which was just super cute. Um, and yeah, so the, it was a very like hard experience, this kind of like transition between the two places. So just a content warning for my next paragraph. I do talk about briefly about hate crimes and racism just so you know. Uh, so take like a two minute break, come back if you do not want to hear about that. Um, so as I said, Jemison really did not enjoy her time in Alabama. Uh, she specifically said she hated it because of the regimented regimentation of Southern society and the quasi suburban alienation, as well as racism. In an incident that is described in the New York article I mentioned, when she was in fourth grade, the KKK burned a cross in the Mobile Courthouse lawn and then murdered a black teenager named Michael Donald as he was walking home from the store. Mm -hmm. uh, this lynching took place not far from her grandmother's house, and the incident really impacted her and her family. Uh, in a speech that she made in 2013 while she was recalling this, she said, I remember my grandmother sitting in her den with a shotgun across her knees while I cracked pecans at her feet. I was maybe nine years old and had no idea what was going on. She told me the gun was just an old replica she'd brought in to clean it. And I just said, okay, grandma, and asked whether she'd made me a pie when I was done. Um, mm. But obviously that was like a very traumatic thing that happened very close to her, her grandma lived. Uh, and this kind of traveling back and forth between Alabama and New York continued to like impact uh, Jemison specifically in the very big differences in crossing the Mason Dis 
Dixon line um, from both a societal, social, and personal standpoint. Um, the shifting of racial divisions in Mobile led to her attending a predominantly white school that had been forced to desegregate, um, and she would have to ride an hour bus ride to get to the school each day, specifically so she could exchange comic books with her white friends, which she had to do behind the school. Hmm. Um, as a way of dealing with the world and kind of like just the realities that she was dealing with, she, as I said, she spent a lot of time at the library as like a form of coping and escapism um, to read and write. That was like her favorite thing to do and is where she spent like the bulk of her time. So this helped her not only develop her writing style, but also further develop her love of fantasy and science fiction. Um, specifically, Jemison fell in love with comics um, and science fiction at a young age. She loved space uh, and the world's fantasy that space could be built upon and the specifically like the way in which fantasy was written, it allowed some sort of like structure and logic, even it was even though they were in fantastical worlds. Uh, mm -hmm. So specifically in dealing with her parents' divorce, Jemison felt little about her real life was she didn't think it was cohesive so Jemison felt like her real life wasn't cohesive and because of this she really enjoyed the completeness of the imagined world so like the world building and the way that they existed in these kind of like self-contained logic bound places mm -hmm. uh, but was still like these really awesome and cool ideas uh she loves science fiction novels so much that she would read them in class uh covering them with paper to hide the titles from her teachers uh and in the <laughs> new yorker she said i saw star wars when it came out because i was a creepy obsessed space child um <laughs> jemison like kind of took this love of star wars and continue and the love of science fiction and fantasy and just like really dove into that uh she pushed through so many novels and this like love of science fiction and the novels surrounding it made her write even more like constantly. She was just constantly writing. Um, and she would, uh, her cousin recounts a time where they would spend a lot of time in front of her grandmother's house in the sun, writing, drawing and talking. Um, her cousin was W. Kamau Bell. And they said, we bonded over the fact that we felt like aliens in Mobile. Um, the differences in her parenting styles also impacted Jemison well. Uh, her mother was a standardized test giver, as I said, and her father was an artist. So two very different yeah. ways to go towards the world. Um, so these differences made it so her mother had a really hard time understanding her love of otherworldly fantasies and writing. Because um, they weren't really like, for her, her mother's perspective, they weren't really based in like logic or science or even mm -hmm. though sometimes they are, but like, it was all very fantastical. So she had a hard time understanding her love of it as well as just like her love of writing in general. Um, her father, however, did understand as an artist, uh, and spent most of their summers together. They would stay up really late together watching Star Trek and the Twilight Zone, um, mm -hmm. Her father also encouraged her to explore the city and create, really like pushing her to be more creative and like explore that further. Uh, and this was really cute. They would spend a lot of time coexisting, just working on their passions. So he would be like in his office painting and like she would be like in the den, like writing. Um, and they would just kind of like they wouldn't talk very much, but they would just like both work on what they loved in this like kind of coexisting space, which I thought was really sweet. Um, and her dad was actually apparently her first real editor, like not in the literal sense of 
publishing and editing in that way. Uh, but she described it as one of her favorite memories uh, of them was walking around the Williamsburg Bridge. Um, this was before it got renovated. It had holes in it. Uh, you had to be careful or you would lose a foot. I would talk over story ideas and plot lines, and he would just listen to all of that. So a lot of her early ideas were things that, like, she talked about with her father and, like, got his feedback on, which was cool. Um, while her father was a supporter of her writing, her mother's influence ultimately won out in that exchange at first. As I said, she did not start pursuing writing as more than a hobby until her late 20s, early 30s. So this kind of stayed as is for many years. Her main focus was, as many of us have, uh, to afford life, rent, bills, and to survive uh, in this capitalistic hellscape. Mm. Um, so she pursued just like exclusively that route for many years. Um, she just wanted to be able to afford to live. Mm -hmm. um, so writing as this, it was a side hustle. It was like specifically just a hobby, a coping, like, like her way of escaping as it had been like when she was little. Mm -hmm. um, and she kind of used that to keep her sane, uh, it describes, uh, as she moved kind of around the U.S. and in her teaching roles and jobs that she did not like very much. Uh, mm -hmm. As she got older, she attended Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana, and she graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology, uh, taking after her mother in that way, who also had a degree in psychology. Um, she went on to receive a master's in education from the University of Maryland at College Park, and she became a career counselor at a college in Springfield, Massachusetts for a while. She did not like Massachusetts very much. Uh, <laughs> One reason being like the weather and climate, uh, it was cold and lake effect snow. She said it was isolated. She did not like it very much. Uh, mm -hmm. She continued writing, as I said, mostly as a hobby. And that was kind of what kept her sane. Uh, she participated in writing groups as well. And as we said, anonymously participated in fan fiction, which she still does. Mm -hmm. um, she eventually worked at Northeastern University in Boston, but did not like Boston very much either, as it was still in Massachusetts, did not like it there. Um, it was when she turned 30 that she kind of had this crisis, and she stated, I was like, oh my God, I am in debt to my eyeballs. I hate this town. I don't like my boyfriend. I have got to reorder this. What do I need to do to make, to like be happy? Okay, get out of debt, get out of Boston, get into writing maybe make some money from it. Maybe that can help. Um, so after that kind of like epiphany, she attended the Viable Paradise Writing Workshop and then started seeking publication seriously. Um, from there, she started to submit her works to publishers and agents. She found an agent in 2005, and her first no novel, The Killing Moon, was published in 2012. But it did not initially sell well since the industry was not welcoming to inclusive fantasy. Mm -hmm. uh, saying, wasn't and yeah, still isn't still entirely. That the industry is racist and that mm -hmm. is why she did not have success so much at the beginning. Um, she received many rejections that she was certain were racially based code from the same editorial bigotry that Delaney faced in the sixties. Uh, she even came very close to quitting. Uh, she said, I came very close to quitting. I had a long, dark tea time of the soul. And basically somewhere in there, I realized people are just that racist. If the only problem is that the book is full of black people, okay, I got you. I'm going to write something full of white people, but it's going to be all about how evil those white people are. And The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms was that book. Uh, it was me getting mad at the science fiction publishing. Mm -hmm. um, and she did find success in writing uh, 
just even with all that happening. Uh, and many of her books have won awards. As I said before, she is one, the first black person ever to have won the Hugo Award for Best Novel, and is the first author in the genre's history to have won it three times in a row. Um, her, the, what won it the first time was uh, the book that we're covering next week. <laughs> so on her website, also, she describes her writing most frequent themes as resistance to oppression, the inseverability insev- of the liminal, uh, which I had to look up what both of those words meant. <laughs> so, and the coolness of stuff blowing up. Uh, so she often Can writes- you explain what inseverability of the liminal is then? Sure. Liminal (laughs) It's related to a transitional or initial stage of process, occupying a position at or on both sides of a boundary or threshold um, and the inseverability of that divide Mm -hmm. slash threshold, uh, which makes sense considering most of her life she was traveling back and forth between uh, the North and the South. Mm -hmm. Um, As Gabe will get into uh, when they start talking about their section uh she often writes very on the nose and unapologetically on topics she covers and that's been very important to her to be honest in her fantasy um and gay will get more into the writing theme styles the actual things that they've written and stuff like that but there is a fun little fact section uh on their website her jameson's website uh oh and the questions she most often receives from interviewees uh to kind of just get them out of the way. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just thought it might be fun to share those because they were cool. Um, So the first question that she says she gets a lot uh, is, so you're black and a woman in science fiction? What's that all about? Um, I understand why these questions are important. It is disheartening that people keep asking them, however, or some version of them. At this point, for me, these questions are a reflection of the larger problem that for those of us who are other, we are constantly called upon to explain our existence. Therefore, I ask the interviewers stop doing it and think of something more interesting to ask. Mm -hmm. Um, The next question is, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Um, and she says, always as a kid, I devoured books at the library and at home, I would make my own handwritten books with cardboard covers and yarn binding. It took a while for me to decide to do it professionally, but I've been a writer for as long as I can remember. The next question is how do, how did you become a writer? So nobody bought the ones with the cardboard covers. So I had to try something new, uh, was her joke answer. But her serious answer was, I've been writing since the age of eight or so, and only began seriously seeking publication in my late twenties and early thirties. I started with a writing workshop, Viable Paradise. And from there I joined a writing group and wrote short stories to hone my craft and novels to tell the stories I wanted to tell. I sent the stories to magazines and to book agents. Once I found the right agent for myself, we then worked together for several years before the 100,000 Kingdoms sold. Uh, I kept a folder of rejections as motivation to keep going. I don't know where that folder is anymore, which feels like a good measure of success, if as anything else. Um, So for anyone who's trying to become a writer, the next question is, how do I become a writer? Uh, To which she says, unfortunately, there is no one way to answer this question. You become a writer by writing. If it, and if that in itself makes you happy, you've succeeded already. To have a writing career means a lot of small business management, market research, patience, and perseverance. The good news is that social media and the internet have made it much easier to do this work than it was when I started out. 
the bad news is no one can really give you the patience and perseverance except yourself. Um, it can be helpful to form a solid group of fellow writers seeking publication, either as a general support or as a dedicated writing group. Um, and, but in the end, it all comes down to you. Good luck. Um, and how do you keep writing? Which I thought this one, this one was one of my favorites just because it was cute. Um, by not writing sometimes. Uh, diligence is very important for a writer, especially a writer on contract. However, if that's all you do, you will absolutely burn out. And recovery time for burnouts is not quick. So in order to keep writing, I travel, read, write just for fun, slash to myself, and occasionally play Skyrim. So <laughs> the fan fiction is a part of that, you know? That's why yeah. they're so cool is because they still have these like awesome hobbies uh, that is their like not writing time. And also like they write reviews for other people who are writing, as you saw. <laughs> you mm -hmm. the one for, uh, ah, of course, now that we're saying words, I forget their name. The person recovering next. Oh, um, uh, for Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Yes. She yeah. wrote a review for her book. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. Which that's is why we switched. <laughs> yeah. No, we, super we switched over to that book because I was like, well, if N.K. Jemison likes it, then we're going to like yeah, it. Yeah, like, guarantee we're going to think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> of total trust. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, they're really cool as, like, a person, it seems. Like, they're nerds, like us, geeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's just cool that they were like, I'm going to do it. But that, like, it wasn't when they were, like, 18. <laughs> they were yeah. like, they say like by 30 you're gonna figure out your stuff and it's like she was like at 30 she's like i don't know but we're gonna try and just did it uh, figure it out it's hard to like this ain't it fresh at 30 so like that's huge and she really pulled it off and it's amazing so yeah nk be your cool. friend yeah yeah a lot of like what she says really reminds me of our friend Wimoto Naoka um, yeah. of Jesse Projects and Black Women Are Scary uh, similarly with the just this idea like because Wimoto writes like fantasy and horror like a lot of genre work um, mm -hmm. same thing with Eunice Levi's who we talked to in our um, uh, community care episode mm -hmm. um, but both of them it's just like we just are existing and that's <laughs> everyone wants to know why we're existing like she gets so yeah. worn out when people are like tell us more about your struggles and she's just like just take my work my work is good yeah <laughs> read my books yeah we don't need to have like a trauma porn session so, yeah like yeah. to validate why I'm in this space uh -huh. like I could just make something that is fun and that is enough uh -huh. and it's because there's not enough fun out there with us just existing in it. And like, that's the problem. Like the bare minimum is just let us be also here in your yeah. envisioned futures in other worlds. <laughs> yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. And then we'll be like chilling, hanging out with, um, NK, Tanana Reeve. I'd hang out with her too. Everyone hang out with us. <laughs> be your friend. Let's start um, a writing group. Maybe that'll Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Be my friend. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Let's talk about, uh, and his work um, so one of the first things is um I found this quote from her that just said I write what feels good and I found that really inspirational uh -huh. <laughs> just like motivating in in that same vein of what you're saying right it's like uh just writing it right it doesn't uh -huh. have to have this ulterior motive or this purpose it's just because um 
it's feels good feels good to write it and other people are going to enjoy it and that's cool um so I think one of the biggest things that I found the most interesting about her work is like this inspiration of hers is really founded in these two like like you're saying about her parents (laughs) these two like dichotomous like worlds of like Uh dreams which are like unreal they're just made up fantastical and then science right like grounded in science like geology um astrophysics like all those things that are applicable like to creating a world um Mm -hmm. but also like being able to have enough imagination to envision what that world looks like what the people look like in that place um because it's more than just the science of people um which is kind of like what i Growing up, I wanted to be an architect because I always felt like that was a really good blend between being artistic and then also like like both sides of your brain because there's like math involved, which is why I'm not an architect. <laughs> like math, because you have to be like, this has to stand. This has to be able to yeah. exist. We gotta um, physics it. Yeah, like is it gonna, you know? But then also like being able to design this thing that doesn't exist elsewhere. I was like, this uh-huh. is um again. You math can do that book. with writing, you got it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so with uh, Jemison, her work begins with a dream. So her writing process starts with a rough remembrance of a dream that she had. Uh, it's this concept concept that lingers in her mind. It's fuzzy at the edges when she wakes up. And then she focuses in on the elements that she remembers, asking herself questions like, why did this happen? Or how did this happen to unpack the larger picture? Um, And then she also brings with that exploration, the emotions that linger after the dream has dissipated, um, which help to answer those questions, because it's not just like, how do we get to this area of my weird dream? It's like, why do, what do I feel in this dream? And why did I feel that? Um, And for the Broken Earth trilogy, Seesaw, um, she found herself standing in a surreal tableau with a massive floating in the distance. It was a chunk of rock shaped like a volcanic cone, a cone-shaped smoking mountain, she recalled. Standing before the formation was a black woman in her mid-40s with dreadlocks who appeared to be holding the volcano aloft with her mind. She was glaring down at Jemison in radiating anger. Jameson did not know how she had triggered the woman's fury, but she believed that if she did not ameliorate it quickly, the woman would hurl the smoldering massive at her. And writer Rafi Kachadorian, that cat mentioned, <laughs> super helpful. Thank you for your article from <laughs> The New Yorker um, titled N.K. Jemison's Dream Worlds um, for these details. So, uh yeah. For her next trilogy, the Inheritance trilogy, uh, the dream that kicked off this exploration of enslaved deities featured two gods. One had dark as night hair that contained a starry cosmos of infinite depth. The other, in a child's body, manipulated planets like toys. Um, And seeing these two gods, she thought of a whole world that would then subjugate those gods. What does that look like? Um, But further than dreams, Jemison also immerses herself into the world that she creates. Um, And though it is science fiction, speculative fiction, or fantasy, they are world building and magical genres that are grounded in real world influences and science. Mm -hmm. Um, Real speculation of like what could happen, kind of similar to what we were seeing with like Margaret Atwood in um, Orcs and Crake. Like Mm -hmm. 
these are <laughs> real things that have happened. It's grounded in facts and science. It's totally possible if this world existed that these things would happen, right? Yeah. Um, on her desktop in this article, they mentioned that she has a folder with information gathered from a NASA-funded workshop called Launchpad, which discussed what could happen to the Earth if we lost our moon. And the article explains... Some speculated that our planet's axis would tilt wildly, triggering haphazard ice ages and that its core might lose its stability, causing earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. The fragments in Jemison's folder began to pair up. She imagined a planet that had lost its moon and became seismically hyperactive. Such a place, she reasons, could sustain life, but just barely. Mass extinctions would be, un would be common. If the woman in her dream inhabited that planet, she wondered then what would her civilization look like? Um, wow. And again, that, <laughs> that's, what the, wow. that's what it is, right? <laughs> which we're going to talk about next week. Like, I'm like so excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that reminds me of like how uh, Butler wrote um, the pattern series backwards, the patternist, mm -hmm. where it was like, she started at the end and was like, how did I get here? It's kind of like that. Like you get to this, you start with the end. <laughs> so she says, so to, um, fully understand the circumstances, environments of her worlds, Jemison inhabits those spaces. So she spends time in uh, boring courtrooms for notes on how to write courtroom scenes for um, her upcoming book, uh, trilogy about New York, because oh. it's going to feature a courtroom. Um, she explores New York to learn more about its history, to apply that to that trilogy, um, feeling like she needs to learn more about that before she can fully flesh it out, because it's so much about the city. <laughs> like, the city uh -huh. itself is... A, is almost a character yeah. uh, or is a character honestly to get a first-hand feel for volcanoes she flew to hawaii to smell sulfur and ash to learn how people prepared for environmental stress she researched end-of-day survivalists though she stopped short of going into the wilderness to meet them um yeah. <laughs> she was uh in the article she's quoted like i'm not that stupid <laughs> um, but it's a matter of like you know you think about you have go bags right you think about uh -huh. what it is that people would do what have, what are we already doing what is the reasonable next step that although it is a fantastical world where you are and next week we'll talk about it kind of scrambling to figure out what's going on there's uh -huh. still enough of like the regular science and like facts that you don't have to fill in a lot of the blanks it's easy to understand a world that exists like that Mm -hmm. um so it helps you so with the fifth season i'm going to do brief some pieces about some of her work um again we're going to be talking about fifth season specifically next week not the whole broken earth trilogy because i haven't gotten through all of it mm -hmm. um but i'll probably talk some bits about it because um i even spoiled a bit of it for myself but it wasn't like i wasn't let down i was like i was kind of already thinking that's where it was going and it kind of helped me mm -hmm. see the book from a different lens so <laughs> I might just spoil it for myself and I think I'll still really enjoy it. So, um, so fantasy writer J.R.R. Tolkien, um, Tolkien, uh, started his world that we all know, um, Lord of the Rings with a map and drawing this environment, he developed the language, the systems, the caste systems, the cultures, um, of this fantastical realm. Like who lives here? What do they look like? Why do they look like that? How do they interact with each other? Which is why I could not finish that book. <laughs> Got mostly through the Hobbit politics of like, this Hobbit people don't like those Hobbit people. And I was like, but why? <laughs> I was like, that's how like aliens would feel about reading about us. Yeah. <laughs> like, why don't they like each other? Because they're a little darker than the other. What is that? 
Yeah. For what reason? Anyway, that's me with Lord of the Rings. Um, again, I can't do fantasy really, but uh, Jenison Gen- also begins her journey of Broken Earth with a map of the stillness is what, uh, which is what the place is called. Um, mm. She places her wealthy populace, uh, those in power and therefore corrupt, absolute power, um, in the center near the equator. And she deems that this is a geologically stable spot on fault lines that she designed. So it right. makes sense that they would be there and they would be stable enough to um, subsist over some of the other geological disasters and therefore be able to have some type of power over the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, you minis. Um, so the next element in the stew that is Jemison's imagination, the brew of storytelling and a concoction of new worlds is psychology and history. So Jemison aspires to explore systems of subjugation. There is a critical and keen eye that focuses on the oppression of certain peoples, of acts of rebellions and of the new world order and what it will take to get there, which is usually something catastrophic. <laughs> like we got, so you got to break it to remake it. You know, yeah. <laughs> made that a slogan. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful sentence structure. <laughs> I was just like, in awe. I was like, the brew of store. Wow, <laughs> you're just saying words so good. All right, continue. maybe I should be a writer. <laughs> yeah, you are. You already are a writer. Right, you just need to write right, more. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Claim it. I, there's no. T- yeah, you're right. I am a writer. Um, <laughs> you just wrote so, a beautiful sentence. I did, and I can read so many sentences. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was so inspired when I was writing this. This is for people who are listening. Like, Jemison is so inspiring. Like, yeah. it was writing itself. Like, I was like, woo, I just want to tell everyone about how amazing she is. So, um, yeah. <laughs> if you like that, you should just read her stuff. Yeah. Um, for Broken Earth, uh, she decided arbitrarily that the woman in her dream lived in the volatile hinderlands and then began to treat that decision like a discovered fact. I'm like, okay, why isn't she working to stabilize this powerful, wealthy part of society? Well, she must have had at one point of, uh, well, she must have at one point been part of that life, but somehow got away. Gradually, the contours of a story emerged. You let intuition do whatever it is going to do. I have a sentence in mind. Let's start with the end of the world. That can mean the literal end of the world. It can mean the end of civilization, or it can mean grief. Um, And that's when she decided to um, pretty much start with the death of a child. Mm-hmm. And it was a familiar fact for her because at the time of writing, her own mother was ill. So mm-hmm. um, she was very familiar with grief. And that is pretty earth shattering. Um, yeah. For each of Jemison's stories, there is intention and education. As fantastical or imagined her worlds are, there's always some semblance of familiarity and possibility, which again, makes it really easy to understand. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, of course. Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> Again, we'll talk about it next week. But there's sometimes where I just say stuff and I'm like, I don't know what that means. But of course, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, the other uh, interesting thing and important thing, um, which Kat talk- touched upon in their section, was that uh, Jemison is bringing some color to the future and to the fantastical. And mm-hmm. as Octavia Butler had said about the lack of dis- diversity in genre work, she said, I wrote myself in. And so too does N.K. Jemison. Butler fought against critics in a world that limited her worlds. She, N.K. Jemison, and the other writers of color were asked to remove any POC or racial issues from their narratives, afraid that readers wouldn't be able to relate. As if BIPOC people <laughs> don't find connections yeah. in the world and in fiction, despite the incredible lack of melanin on screen all the time. 
yeah we do that uh, oh like we already covered this <laughs> we did this watch our turn and red episode um yeah. you can do that like you can you can relate to a different thing anyway yeah. <laughs> further um they're asking them to remove the people of color because they won't be relatable. But then on top of that, these publishers, there are others in power, um, despite demanding that, uh, still label the work as African-American science fiction. Uh. <laughs> but you just told me it's not. So what is it? What are we doing? Yeah. Just because just because if you're just anyway thinking even now of octavia butler being the mother of afrofuturism but she is just as much a writer of speculative fiction as atwood mm-hmm. she's also a speculative fiction writer um she's a science fiction writer period that's it um butler has said on the matter science fiction reaches into the future the past the human mind it reaches out to other worlds and into other dimensions is it really so limited then that it cannot reach into the lives of ordinary everyday humans who happen not to be white um again this whole episode has been making me really think of Wimoto. i've had these conversations with her many times yes. <laughs> she's just like it's so important black women are scary like we yes should yes and we will we're yeah. gonna be doing some local are uh, like smaller writers uh, in the fall. So stay tuned, everyone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but Butler felt the strongest thing to do to fight this was to simply be here. And Jemison is out here. <laughs> so one of her more recent works, How Long Till Black Future Month, is a, which is a collection of short stories, um, was inspired by two memories of watching the Jetsons growing up. And she said, I noticed something. There's nobody even slightly brown in the Jetsons world. This is supposed to be the real world's future, right? Albeit in silly, humorous form. Thing is, not white people make up most of the world's population. Now, as well as back in the 60s when the, snow, the show was created, so what happened to all those people in the minds of this show's creator? Are they down beneath the clouds where the Jetsons never go? Was there an apocalypse or maybe a pogrom? Was there a memo? um one of the short stories in this collection um which is kind of made me think of like her similar to her idea of like sure i'll put white people in it but you ain't gonna like them (laughs) is um one of her short stories is titled cloud dragon skies and in it humanity is taken to the skies um Jetson fashion and living they live in a ring-shaped colony um in space built from crushed asteroids again totally doable and due to ecological disaster the earth is near uninhabitable um the atmosphere is tainted and there's toxic chemicals influencing new forms of life which like i'm not gonna say a spoiler but it made me think of a recent thing i watched um (laughs) there are a few humans who have stayed behind one of which is our narrator and how to um who is telling the story and she explains one morning we awoke and the sky was a pale blushing rose We began to see intentions in the slow, ceaseless movements of the clouds. Instead of floating, they swam swam spirals in the sky. They gathered in knots, trailing wisps like feet and tails. We felt them watching us. Um, Like it was alive. (laughs) Again, not going to say what it reminds me of, but something like that is alive. You know what I'm saying? Um, Somebody out there is getting it. Uh, And I bet you. He read that 
So anyway, um, <laughs> like Butler, she imagined a future in which we don't abandon Earth to continue our malicious and disastrous human ways, but instead inspires a future of progress, evolution, and adaptation. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of Lilith's brood and the fact that like we can fix this, <laughs> you know, like there's an opportunity and there are certain people who would be more inclined to fix it, right? Um, in it, the people on earth who are still here accept the new cloud forms as natural, as a piece of their environment, just as at home as they are. Um, believing that in a redemptive future, humanity must adapt to its ecosystem, not shape it. There's a respect there um, yeah. that there's a natural evolution. Yeah, we are going to mess up the world. <laughs> we are doing that. But uh, it's gonna change, and we got to still respect it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah, we did that, but that's now like that's what it is. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, that's just how it is now, and still, um, in keeping with her psychological explorations, the humans in power are still faulty and harmful, and not understanding the new creatures, they react violently and try to eliminate the Earth's new shapes, mm. um, leaving the how-to to flee Earth and live amongst the other humans, acting as orator keeping the truth alive through story, um, which sometimes is all you can do, right? Butler, <laughs> you just keep telling the stories. Mm -hmm. um, and for too long, the genre world elevated the voices of problematic and frankly uninteresting writers. Mm -hmm. um, frankly uninteresting is you know, me putting my little flavor in there, but um, uh, shadowing the work of others, honestly. And as if to say there was no room for diversity in the future or in the fantastical, what does it say that entire groups of people cultures and lifestyles are erased from our predictive and speculative texts. Are we not going to be here in the future? Do we no longer matter? Are we to be erased in the future as experiences of our ancestors have been in the past and present? Yeah. I'm like, how many is They're on the nose about it. They're working on it. They're trying really hard. Yeah. <laughs> you can't talk about fast this doesn't exist we got to rewrite it and it's like no mm -hmm. um and so like at least let us write the future and let us also be in the future you're gonna tell me that like the jetsons they in this come on all right um but even tolkien was uh affected by the racist rhetoric of his time and, and again the Lord of the Rings is a really amazing work of literature. It's very impactful. It is beautifully written. There's a lot in there. Um, again, he built an entire world. It's an epic, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's foundational in the world. Um, so not discrediting that, but everyone knows. You just gotta, he's even said it. So his <laughs> orcs, the monstrous and disgusting agents of evil are questionably designed. Okay, again, product of his time. In a letter explaining his idea, he said they are, or were, squat, broad, flat-nosed, sallow-skinned, with wide mouths and slant eyes. In fact, degraded and repulsive versions of the, to Europeans at least, lovely Mongol types. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it sounds like it. Like, um, and again, like, he's very foundational to the fantastic world. You can't you can't erase that, right? I yeah. I refuse to read anything horrible about Ray Bradbury, but I know probably a problem, right? And the same thing with horror, which we have talked about many times. Mm -hmm. H.P. Lovecraft. Fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, we've mentioned this so many times. Still foundational. We get it. Fuck him anyway. Uh, up until recently, the World Fantasy Award was a bust of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So imagine winning that as a person of color, a person that he thought was less than a human. Yeah. Uh, having a statue of a man, just look up the name of his cat. Or yeah. being Jewish <laughs> and having the statue of this man in your house. Yeah. Um, the entire problem. Yeah, so we have discussed the problems of Lovecraft a few times on the show in Lovecraft Country, in Lovecraft Country again, uh, in our HP Lovecraft episode, and other episodes such as have Lovecraftian themes. We just uh-huh. got to put it out there every time, just so you know. Yeah. You have, an Im- like, you have an impact, but you also... So for yeah. those missing out, he was a racist, anti-Semite, um, loved Hitler, wanted to be European so bad. Yeah. Didn't eat any vegetables. Uh, (laughs) named his cat terrible names was awful to his wife just an all-around shit person um a loser complete loser um who was greatly who has greatly impacted the world of horror can't deny it so subverting this harmful rhetoric by featuring powerful and heroic poc characters against his monstrosity is always a win Mm -hmm. and in her upcoming trilogy she expanding uh upon her short story the city born great um and going to build that into this trilogy. And this is the one uh-huh. that's like in New York. So Jemison has explained that the story is part Ghostbusters Ooh. and part Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Um, she's such a nerd. <laughs> I I, like, again, I get so excited. Uh, it takes place in New York as it is invaded by interdimensional aliens. And those aliens are Lovecraftian in nature with long tendrils, otherworldly sinister. Uh, she describes them as like the tendril mass looms, ethereal and pale. Um, these monsters are confronted and fought off by heroes that have Lovecraft turning in his grave because they're BIPOC and varying in gender. <laughs> and they're, more, they're still as important. Yeah. Um, in an article on tour.com yeah who knew right uh in an article on tour.com uh titled nk jemison's new contemporary fantasy trilogy will mess with the lovecraft legacy jemison explains to boil it down it's about a group of people who embody the spirit of the city of new york they raise the city up into a kind of metaphysical entity that will help to fight against basically cthulhu this is deliberately a chance for me to kind of mess with the Lovecraft legacy. He was a notorious racist and horrible human being. So this is a chance for me to have the chattering hordes. Uh, that's what he's called. He called the horrifying brown people of New York that terrified him. Chattering oh. hordes. Uh, this is a chance for me to basically have them kick the ass of his creation. So I'm looking forward to having some fun with that. And we love to see it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like anytime, anytime you can be like, oh, is that scary? Um, I do also <laughs> love this like answer of like, kind of like Godzilla, where like, let them fight, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you brought Cthulhu, we have old city now, it's gonna fight you. Like, what is that? Love yeah. it. Um, <laughs> so definitely uh, check out our, our episode about the book Lovecraft Country for more on things that would make Lovecraft vomit his racist little heart out. So yeah. <laughs> we like that whoops it. Um and then completing this, I want to highlight uh in Brightest Day, Darkest Night, um, when she is not writing fantastical futures in other worlds, she is piloting narratives of some of our favorite superheroes. Uh NK Jemison has written one of our the recent runs of the Green Lantern Corps, uh featuring the amazing Sojourner Joe Mullen. Um I love the Green Lantern series. If we're gonna talk about nerds. It's one of the only comic book series that I was keeping up with for a long time. I have not read Far Sector, but I have it here. Um, (laughs) My partner's read it, says it's amazing, and showed me some Uh cool things in here. Um, Art is amazing um, by Uh Jamal Campbell. So 
check it out if you haven't. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's an incredible uh, story. And I remember hearing about it even before I read this season, knowing mm-hmm. that I was behind it and then seeing Joe, uh, I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> when like, first of all, Green Lantern being the first like comic book series to have the frigid girlfriend trope where like, one of the Green Lanterns, literally, Kyle Rayner finds his girlfriend in the fridge. Like, when you fridge the girlfriend, uh, it tells you to do something. Like, uh-huh. that's the trope started with Green Lantern. And the fact that most of the women up until recent times were like the star sapphires, they are just like in, like, it's just like a one piece thing. It's like. <laughs> no clothes and their power is love like they're driven by love like we can't also be driven by hope or driven <laughs> by willpower or like rage like are you kidding me anyway yeah it's gotten better there are a lot more and like the outfits for the star sapphires have gotten better but still mm-hmm. <laughs> for a series like that that is also in space and she's a space nerd she loves comics so i got very excited Mm-hmm. because jemison is a lovable blurred who appreciates and thrives in this medium so of course this is going to be a great series i'm very excited to read and in uh her version uh or in her uh in joe the mm-hmm. green lantern uh it takes place in a city state on a mega structure at the edge of the known universe and it is a civilization of multi-species mm-hmm. and uh green lantern joe mullen who looks incredibly like my love janelle monet mm-hmm. <laughs> incredibly so i don't mean uh they're a detective and in that same new yorker article bless them uh they explain although it is a comic book the writing carries jemison's wry tone interest in power and unapologetic use of allegory the series opens with mulan surveying a murder scene while considering an aphorism from things fall apart chinua achabe's novel of colonialism a man who makes trouble for others is also making it for himself it lingers in her mind, but Mullen dismisses it, noting, I'm the one causing the trouble just by existing. Um, and in the end, N.K. Jemison is a foundational part of the fantasy genre, uh, a necessary voice to keep us in the future and in the fantastical. And I hope she continues to share her dreams with us. Yeah, no, 100%. We're going to read all of their stuff. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my God, I can't read everything all the time. I will you say, like, can, it's. can, though. We can just make <laughs> all of our episodes about books now. That's it. We're just book people now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been reading so much and I've been reading so many, like, dark, sad things mm-hmm. that I like had to pivot I was like help me out my friend who needs a book talk because all she does is read I was like help me what is something that's just sweet and nice like we were watching Heartstoppers or mm-hmm. like reading Heartstoppers like I just need something where it that's all works cute. out yeah. <laughs> people are in love awesome. or just happy like best friends hanging out that's yeah. what I need um even in like with fifth season because like some of these things get heavy and I'm just like I'm too sad. I can't go to sleep now. I'm mm-hmm. finding a lot of books are not bedtime reading. So yeah. <laughs> if you're following my Twitter, it's like 70% of it right now is me being like, don't read this at night. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need just like fun stuff. That's why I want to make a fun one too. Cause you know, like my webtoon's like really serious and sad. Yeah. I want to make a fun one too. That's just like, ha good times. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. need a little both. That's like, well, yeah. One of my stories is just like, what if we could do, we could just put, these fun characters in a place it's yeah, crazy I'm like, this now. Look at them too. 
Yeah, I just want them to be crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, please, please, please read uh, Ed K. Jemison. Um, and uh, next week we're going to be talking about the fifth season. You could try to read it <laughs> before if you haven't um, before our episode, episode, but that's a long time. So, yeah. um, well, like listen to this and then like pause for a little bit, and you could skip ahead, or you could just wait. Yeah, you know, books forever, yeah. Gabe. Nothing yeah our next season our next series in october will be there's books and then there's like shows so Mm -hmm. it'll be it'll be fun in that way but um yeah i'll say is like i want to be friends with the writers that or the books um recipes butler i think we would be friends Mm -hmm. and at would like again we don't hate you yeah we could be your friend could be an acquaintance yeah (laughs) <laughs> um but we want to be your friend okay you we want to be your friend sylvia yeah. as well so um yeah so tune in next week for that let us know if you have read some of her books again it's a uh, queued up we're ready to go we're gonna be we're not done reading we're gonna be reading forever because uh-huh. they she, she has she's has two trilogies and then a, a duology and then she's working on another trilogy like NK, could you like slow down? No. Just fork on some fan fiction for a minute. No. Like play some like <laughs> Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, like just good. chill out. Play and Stray. Then Stray is really good. Play some Stray. You love cats. Let's see my dice will love it. You make the little meow button. Yeah. And your cats are like, what what are you saying? Um, yeah. it's great. <laughs> do that. Just do that for a minute. Let me catch up. <laughs> There's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. And then uh and then then you'll be ready and I'll be ready and it'll be yeah. great. Or maybe just write them so that they're out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're always going to be there. So I, I really like the book. I'm excited to finish it. I will not finish it in time for next week, I think, but it's okay. It's part of the, it's part I'm of going to spoil it, but you're going to have to deal. Yeah. No, no, no. Sure. <laughs> I, I actually like spoilers sometimes because I'll still read it. Cause it's like, <laughs> I find the unknown very stressful. <laughs> I like it also know, helps you really like get it st- I like to know what's important for me to be paying attention to so if I know what the end is I'll know like what parts I should be like extra looking at you know yeah yeah exactly and that's how I feel now I'm like hey I kind of know this thing is gonna happen so yeah it's like that TikToker I saw who like cut the binding off of all of his books in school and scanned them so that he could control f his textbooks before those things existed you know, it's just good to know the full picture of what's actually important before you have to look at a giant piece of thing, you know? I'll tell you what, I have that thought all the time. You should do it. I would love to control F things in my life. Yeah. But control F my keys. Okay. Yeah. Where I don't they? think it'll do that you know? like, with like books though. <laughs> aren't already digital. That's uh-huh. not you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I get what but, you're saying. It's a good joke. You know, you know? <laughs> it's a good joke, I get it. But I control like, F words. serotonin. Yeah. Well that's Where just looking at the cats. Where's Charlie? Charlie. Yeah, it would highlight it would be like, here it is. Mm. And then, you know, control F money. You know? I can use like, control F money. I highlight the <laughs> fans. I, you know? I would I would like some control F money. That's an idea I had for a short film. So maybe one control day I'll do it. Money or only fans? Just control <laughs> Control F. It was kinda of like a monkey's paw. Oh know? and then you find like, be careful much. what you wish for. Yeah. Because there's always a pit you always have to pay. Yeah. Now you know it always comes at a cost. You've seen something you can't unsee. Remember we did gifts? Mm-hmm. 
careful and we did wishes and you're like dang i really didn't want to know that about that person but now i do yeah you control like, f to find out if your crush likes you but then you find out they've had like really disturbing sexual fantasies about you and now you don't like them anymore that's that's, that's an option <laughs> rough. For a yeah. real funny. <laughs> you're like oh ew no <laughs> you don't seem to view women as people i don't think i like you anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, you can use it. Cool. You can use it for Thank you. Free. Uh, that's what writing groups are for. Um, I want to so, do it. I'm sorry. Yeah. We'll okay. We're gonna start one. Extend uh, longer than <laughs> with random facts about us. Uh, no. Don't get married. They'll eat your kids. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. your kid gets murdered, and you get very angry. Very You're simply. magical. Yeah. Wait till next week. It's gonna be it's all yeah, sad. So <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah. Uh, why'd you do this to us, Jemison? Yeah, the part of it Thank right you. now. Thank you. Like, also. Very sad. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, bye. Bye.